Meet Calvin. Hi. Calvin won 50 bucks off his roommate. That's because Calvin has the iHeartRadio app. iHeartRadio. Which he used to make a pasta song playlist. I'm a genioki. Calvin blasted this on repeat after betting his roommate couldn't complete a four-day juice cleanse. Oh, I can. The song Proper Pappardelle pushed him over the edge. Mm. I love carbs. Good thing Calvin is one of millions with the iHeartRadio app. Download it today and get paid to ruin your roommate's stupid cleanse. Like Calvin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 129. Today's episode should be dropping on the opening day of the Corona Sakurama Pro, the sixth of seven stops on the 2022 WSL Challenger Series where an international field of surfers are battling to finish the season in the top five for the women or the top 10 for the men to qualify for the elite championship tour in 2023. On the men's side, we have Italy's Leonardo Fioravanti, Indonesia's Rio Waida, and Australia's Ryan Callanan already confirmed for next year's CT, currently followed by challengers Liam O'Brien, Ezekiel Lau, Dylan Moffat, Ian Gentile, Michael Rodriguez, Maxime Husino, and Morgan Sibilic. On the women's side, we have Molly Picklam, Caitlin Simmers, Betty Lucicura Johnson, and Nikki Van Dyke, all being led by a young lady who is, quote, 99.995% confirmed for the 2023 championship tour in Macy Callahan. The penultimate stop on the 2022 WSL Challenger Series, the Corona Sakurama Pro, will start today, November 1st, and run through the 8th, and will stream live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. All right, episode 129. Uh, today's guest is someone who we've already mentioned in this introduction. Uh, hailing from the central coast of New South Wales, she had a stellar amateur and junior career, capped off by a win at the prestigious WSL Junior Championships when she was only 16. And as she conveys in today's episode, that win really vaulted her onto the international stage and amplified the expectations that were put upon her. Despite surfing very well throughout her first few years on the championship tour, she struggled to consistently crack through the world's best surfers and was ultimately relegated to the Challenger Series after the 2021 season. That said, she's been able to rally, collecting ninths across the Gold Coast and in Manly, capped off by a big win in Portugal, which has resulted in the aforementioned, quote, 99.995% confirmed for next year's CT. We talk about all this and more, Please enjoy the lineups conversation with Avoca's Macy Callahan. The good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once. Let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. It's a your boxing. All right, so we have the one and only uh, women's winner of the recently completed EDP Vizla Pro Portugal and the current Challenger Series rankings leader, Macy Callahan, on the lineup. Macy, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. So, so where are you in the world right now? What are you getting up to? Um, I'm currently home. I live on the Gold Coast now, so I'm in Palm Beach just relaxing and having some time off. It's very nice. <laughs> well, well, well earned. And, and, you know, as it, uh, as it so often happens at the ASP WSL following your big win in Portugal, there was a lot of conjecture over just how quote unquote locked you were for next year's championship tour. And, and where we finally landed on officially was that you are quote unquote 99.995% confirmed. So congratulations yeah. are in order. That, that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I know you hear so many different things, but um, I am um, very happy. Obviously, I took, I'm not going to Brazil, so I was taking that 99.5%. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what could go wrong? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, so I was going like, to ask you about that because, crossed. yeah. Yeah, I think, I think you're probably safe. But I was going to ask you about that because we've got two more events left on the Challenger Series. We have uh, the Challenger Series event in Sakurama and then the final event in Haleiwa. Because of your performance, I mean, really over the course of the whole season, but specifically, you know, those last three events, you got a runner up in Belito, a runner up at the U.S. Open and then a win in Portugal. 
did that performance run kind of inform whether or not you were going to do Sakurama? And and follow up question: Are you still going to plan on going to Haleiwa? Yeah, I um, I honestly, I had a plan at the start of the year, and it was kind of to this year. I was just focusing on myself and what I actually wanted to do and what events I wanted to choose. And um, I my goal was actually to not have to go to Brazil. I knew that um. From previous years, I was just getting so burnt out by the end of the year. And I really, coming into those last events, the pressure was just way too much for me. I just wanted to obviously be in front. And if I was to qualify, I wanted to be in front coming into the last two events of the year. So um, I chose at the start of the year, I was not going to Brazil. That was the plan. Um, Right. And everything turned out well (laughs) for me. So um, it's nice having to take this event off and knowing that I'm I'm in a good spot and I will be going to Haleiwa so it's nice knowing going into that event that I could potentially be qualified um yeah and I can just kind of have fun with it you know as as you mentioned the the it's really really easy I think I think probably more easy in the past to get really burnt out but we're just we're kind of on the other side a little bit of that that pandemic non-season there's been a huge amount of change to the tourism competition framework. And, and we're, it was funny, we were having this conversation today with a few folks that came in the building. And, and it was one of those things where we said, look, we don't, I don't think all the surfers, certainly not all the staff or the surfing community at large have kind of wrapped their arms around the new rhythms of the tour. But, but I think people are, are finding it like, oh, yeah, okay, if I'm not competing on the championship tour this season... You know, there's seven Challenger Series events. Those run from May through December. I can kind of plan my year out. And then as that stabilizes over the next few years, as an athlete, it's probably very advantageous because you're able to say, okay, I know that I have a few months, depending on my results, where I I don't have any events. I can use that to recover and I can can maybe get other kind of work done. Has has that gone into your planning for 2022 at all? Yeah, for sure. Um... Obviously, my career on the tour started at quite a young age. I was like 17 mm. when I first went on to tour. I'm glad um, you brought that up because I looked at, I'm like, I feel like Macy's like 28 because she's I'm so like mature. And then I'm 22. like, oh my God, yeah, <laughs> 22. You've done, you've achieved yeah. so much already. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when I first was on tour, I was doing both all the CT events and the QS events at that time. And that was around 16 or 17 events a year. And it was so crazy, like truck, like I was never home. I was just on the road constantly. And that's probably where I got burnt out. (laughs) But with this new, this new format and the scheduling, you can really plan out the year and, you know, the media cut for the CT, it's obviously a lot easier now when you just, you know, what's ahead kind of thing. Um, Right. And yeah, I was, I was able to plan out this year really well. Um, I knew what events I wanted to do and where I was going. And then I was able to, yeah, obviously... I do a lot of stuff for Billabong and my sponsors. So I was able to plan some trips with them. Um, And that was also another, like a focus for me for this year was to plan some free surfing trips and also keep that fun alive whilst traveling and competing. Um, So yeah, this year has been nice. (laughs) You know, one of the things that I've heard from a lot of the surfers that have competed this year is that under the, the previous structure where it was, a pretty open qualifying series. You had all these QS events at different levels. And, and as you pointed out, like there were dozens of events a year and they ran pretty much January through December. There was a lot more randomness in terms of you know the conditions you might surf in, the, the competitors you might face. And what I've heard from some of the Challenger Series competitors this year is that it, it's a fairly similar field, right? Because you have to qualify through your regional qualifying series to get to this challenger series level. So you kind of know who you're competing against. The level's a little bit higher. The the wave venues are a little bit better. And, and that's taken a little bit of the randomness out of it compared to what it used to be. And, and have you found that um, throughout your season this year or is it or is it much the same? Yeah. Um, for me, I feel like... <clears throat> As I said, I feel like a veteran now. <laughs> I feel Ooh. like I've been doing this long enough to know who's at the comps, where I've been able to surf the majority of the event sites, like a lot. So coming into you know this year, I was super comfortable going to each place. Right. Um, I'd already been there. 
um, I knew what was ahead of me and who I was versing kind of thing. Um, but in previous years, it was obviously very random. You didn't really know what was happening. You were kind of just going with the flow, and especially the early years when I was on tour and not qualifying, qualifying, what event should I do? What shouldn't I do? Um, yeah, it was a little bit bit random, but um, the new format's a lot easier to navigate, I feel like. Yeah. And you mentioned, um, you know, you're originally from Avoca, I believe, but now you're living on the Gold Coast. So the way that this Challenger Series season kind of set up was pretty advantageous, at least starting for you, right? Because you started in your adopted home on the Gold Coast. And then you know, the next event was in Manly. So it's not Avoca, but it's it's Sydney. And it, yeah. you know, it, I, you know, a lot of surfers kind of go into two different spaces when it comes to competing at home. Some of them love the familiarity and getting to sleep in their own beds and having their support teams there. And then others we've seen at really every level kind of feel like they have a ton of pressure to perform and to do their hometown proud. Where did you fall in those opening two events just in terms of the did you feel like it was advantageous for you or did you feel like sort of a, a, an abnormal amount of pressure to perform in front of your friends and family? Yeah. Um, it's funny. The first like snapper rocks for me, I've been like, I've obviously moved to the Gold Coast six years ago mm. and I surf snapper pretty much every day. Um, but I honestly couldn't handle the pressure out there. It was like so yeah. much. I feel like when you take away the hundred people that are usually out there, and you only have another girl out there and your friends and family on the beach. I was so nervous. I like right. couldn't contain myself. Like I was so excited to get a wave to myself. And I was just like so excited to perform in front of everyone that I kind of forgot what I was doing. <laughs> um, but for me, it, that wave is so high performance. It's like mm. I expected myself to do a lot better. I was probably putting too much pressure on myself. Right. Um, but that's probably the one event that really got to me. I think... I went back to Avoca Beach this year for the regional tour for the QS, like the regional 3000. Um, and I ended up winning that and I felt so comfortable there. Um, I was like, it's my hometown. I felt so comfortable. Right. It was like a little bit different, but um, yeah, I don't know. It just depends. I think snap is the one place for me that <laughs> just gets me nervous. It, it's funny you bring that up too. Cause I remember, you know, but fortunate enough to do this for almost 20 years now. And, it's it's so rare that even when the CT started at Snapper Rocks that we had sort of clean, consistent waves at Snapper Rocks. Like, I, I mean, I probably can count the amount of years we had that on like one hand. And so it was really jarring to me just to look at the lineup of like clean little waves at Snapper Rocks with only like a few people out. Like, it's so because we're just yeah. so used to seeing it and surfing with so many people out there. And you mentioned the pressure thing. I, in the instances where... I've surfed some of these spots with very few people out or sometimes no people out. I'm always struck by how often I use other people in the lineup as sort of like um, gauges in terms of like, oh, that person's paddling over there. There must be a set or like the pack's moving over there. I'm going to move over here. And anytime I find myself without like the masses that you usually surf with, I'm like, oh, man, I, I don't actually have that point of information anymore. <laughs> this is a little bit off putting. Yeah, I know it's hard. Um, snapper, I'm. Yeah, I like the crowd is so gnarly. It's always so heavy to get a wave. I'm lucky now. I've managed to find my place with the boys up up the top. My boyfriend mm. is a local here, so that makes it a lot easier. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, take him out and everyone else out. You kind of do get lost, and it's like that weird feeling. You're like, I surf here every day, but I feel like I still don't know where I am. Um, right, right. Uh, yeah, and just that added pressure of everyone watching you on the beach knowing that everyone expects you probably to do crazy stuff and everyone's sure. just watching unwritten waves go by. You're just like, Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <right>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It drives you nuts. So, yeah. so back to back nights to start the challenger series season, um, on the gold coast and at Manly, which are good, good results. Um, but then you, you, you kind of go from the familiarity of competing at home to flying all the way halfway around the world to Belido you get a runner-up in Belido. You fly halfway around the world again to the U.S. Open. You get runner-up at the U.S. Open. Huge results. And, and I mean, you mentioned it before where you felt like you're maybe putting a little bit too much pressure on yourself at home. In terms of the Belido and U.S. Open events, 
because you were so far away from home, did that help you somewhat psychologically? Or are you like, you know what, I'm focused on on competing and what I have to do on these waves and all that kind of hometown pressure. It's it's, it's nowhere near me. Yeah, for sure. Um, at the start of the year, I had the goal just to start off doing the Australian leg mm. and see how I felt, see what was going through my head, seeing whether I wanted to continue doing the Challenger Series and travel overseas. Right. Um, I started off with, yeah, two nights, which isn't horrible, but for me, it wasn't where I wanted to be. Obviously, for me, I want to be in the final. <laughs> and of course. But, but real, the, real quick, were, were there results? Because I, I think that's really interesting what you said. Were there results that you'd already mapped out? Like if you'd done, let's just make it up, 13th or 25th in both those events, did you already know that, oh, if I, if I don't do better than that, I'm not, I'm not traveling on the Challenger Series this year? Yeah, I was... The ninth, I was I was satisfied enough with that to right. be where on the rankings where I was. Um, mm. Yeah, if I had anything worse than that, I probably would have just been like, you know what, <laughs> I think I need some time off. Um, right, right, yeah. But I, yeah, the previous year I had got ninths the whole year on the first year on the Challenger Series. I sure. that was like consistent ninths, and I was like, okay, it's driving me insane. Right, but yeah, right. I want to do better And I like my competitive instinct like came out. I was like, okay, I need to do better. <laughs> so um, going into Belido, I was super relaxed. I've been to South Africa a few times. It was actually my first time to Belido itself, but I love South Africa. Um, I was going there just <clears throat> wanting to do well. And I think, yeah, my, I just really wanted to get better than a ninth. So um, I was very happy about that one. <laughs> right, right. It's something that comes up on this podcast quite a lot because we have the good fortune of speaking with really, really high level surfers, whether they're championship tour surfers or surfers that decided to take a different path. Is it, It's not unlike a lot of other sports where you have a huge pool of surfers that maybe start surfing, but never, ever even compete in amateurs. And then you have mm -hmm. a pretty big pool that compete in amateurs and even smaller group ever go into the pro juniors and then a smaller group and so on and so forth. And by the time you get to even the challenger series, it's such a small pool compared to that really big pool of, of people who try it. And even that small pool of challenger series surfers, it's so rare to win an event, um, and, and you know, you took down the the EDP Vizsla Pro in Portugal this year um, after having like you know back to back finals in in Belido and the U.S. Open. Can you kind of run us through just the psychology of of winning an event, and and if it feels any different to the other events? Does does something have to click for you to be like, no, this is now my event, I'm winning it, you know, as opposed to like mm -hmm. I'm a good surfer, but I, I just didn't get the result. Yeah, for sure. I think previous years I I was doing a lot of work, like physical work. I was working out a lot more. I was really hungry to yeah get a get a win. Um, mm. I was training a bunch and probably overdoing it. To be honest, right. I was right. just like so hyper focused on it. It consumed most of my life. Um, whereas this year I've taken a massive step back. I, I've honestly hardly worked out. I've just like probably worked on my mental game a lot more. And I think that's where this, the space I needed to work on. Um, I was just getting so consumed by competing and right. meeting everyone's expectations. And I had all this pressure on myself and what um, other people wanted to see me doing. And it really drove me insane. I was super unhappy um, competing when where I was at. Um, I didn't want to travel. I was just like so over it. Um, and this year I took a massive step back. I've probably done like half the amount of surfing that I usually do. I just been right. like doing what I wanted to do and just, just figuring out what space works best for me. And I think that's what really worked well coming into these events. I was just super happy with my life and where I was at. And yeah, I was just feeling comfortable. I was traveling with a good bunch of people and staying with some friends and I just felt like, it, yeah, everything was just like nice and calm for the first time. <laughs> it, it's so interesting you bring that up because it's it's something we we talk about quite a bit in, in at headquarters here and with you know Jesse Miley Dyer leading the tours and competition team and it's surfing so unique in that you it has such a dynamic feel to play with the ocean. It's so unpredictable, right? And any other sport, whether it's basketball or soccer or football, or rugby, whatever it is 
you know, it's a static field of play, the field or the court, it's the same every time you go out and compete. So, you know, you could be the fastest, strongest, most talented, you could work the hardest, you could do all this work and step onto the court or step onto the field with a pretty high level of swagger and confidence that you are the best. You could do all the exact same things in surfing and you step out into the ocean and you're like, I might lose. I'm not in yeah. control, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that's the ocean. And, and it's interesting, like it's interesting you said you had to kind of take a step back because it sounds like you were doing a lot of those things, like the preparation things and the training things. And it's almost like if you don't create that space and flexibility and adaptability and as you pointed out, like calmness you could really get frustrated competing because you're like, why is it not happening for me? And and we've seen it time and again at the CT level. It's people have to kind of step back and let go for it to make sense. Yeah, our sport involves mother nature. We can't, it's just, you know, the ocean, you never know what she's going to bring. <laughs> um, <laughs> and especially when you're trying super hard and you're losing constantly. And it's just right. like, you're doing everything right, but you're still losing. It's like, it's confusing. You're like, what am I, like, what's, what's happening? Right, um, right. And yeah, for me, that was just like getting me down. It ended up to the point where I was like not enjoying surfing and I had to really go back and focus on like why I love it so much and why I even do it. You know, I've been doing, I've been like a water baby since birth. So I, my whole life revolves around the ocean and I got to a point where I was like, I don't want to be like, I don't want to do this. And that was really sad. And yeah, you just, I had to take a massive step back and just get back to the start and start loving everything again. Absolutely. And and that's, it's again, going back to the uniqueness of competitive surfing, like throughout the five decades of, of professional surfing, or at least an international tour, like there's always been people that are very dedicated to the craft and training and the professionalism of it. And then they run into, you know, equally talented people, but maybe people that are a little looser and party and don't take it as seriously and they get out in the heat. And sometimes those people win and you're going like, what the hell? Like, I, I was like, <laughs> I how is that possible? But I do think yeah. there, I think there's something in that approach, not, not recommending everyone replicate it. There is something in that approach where that kind of detachment and calmness is built in to the letting go part of it where you're like, yeah, you know, I, I don't take it as seriously. It, it helps. Yeah, totally. I, um, yeah, it's funny before Portugal, I actually went on like a girl's trip to Mexico and New York with all my like best friends. And oh, awesome. we definitely were just having a holiday, having fun. Um, I was, I was honestly like the best trip of my life. We were just having the most fun. And then going into Portugal, I hadn't surfed for like a week or so. And I was like, kind of stressing but I was also just like high on life I was just like I just had right. like the best girls trip and I was just feeling so relaxed and I think that's why I won honestly I was just like just having the best time and I was just traveling and seeing places of like first time in New York and it was just like so fun and then going to Portugal I was just like super excited <laughs> well it worked out so so congratulations <laughs> we'll do proper congratulations when that last zero point zero zero five percent locks in or whatever it is. Yes. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors and we'll be right back. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort. Thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, 
and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. As surfing makes its impressive showcase for the second time at the Olympic Games Paris 2024, Samsung is capturing every epic moment through a new docuseries and a celebration of our culture, bringing the spirit and stories of surfers, including Joanne DeFay, John John Florence, and Jack Robinson to the forefront. Want to dive deeper into our world? Visit youtube.com slash at Samsung. All right. So, so before the break, you mentioned that you were a water baby since birth, um, and you're born Avoca Beach in New South Wales. Tell us what that was like. Like, wh- what is Avoca Beach like for people who have never had the privilege of going there? What was your family like? Mom, dad, brothers, sisters? Yeah. Um, both my parents are born and raised on the Central Coast. Um, around the entrance, my dad was a North Shelley board riders like founder um he was a surfer my two older sisters were both very involved in surf life saving and swimming um that's kind of where I started off doing surf life saving I was very competitive in that area and loved pool swimming as well that was like my whole life growing up and then my dad was sick of taking us all to nippers every Saturday and was like no someone has to surf in this family so it was me (laughs) Um, so yeah, he got me into it and it started off as something that was a real challenge to me. It didn't come naturally. I was just like constantly wanting to get better and, um, yeah, I just stuck with it and I loved it. <laughs> it's, it's always interesting too. like, you know, I'm, I'm a father of uh, eight year old twins, a boy and a girl. And I, I, I talked to a lot of other, you know, dads and moms in the surfing space and it, I can't speak for everyone, but it feels like you end up in that space where it's, you go, okay, it'd be great if they surfed with me. That kind of might double or triple my surfing time at some point, probably like your dad yeah. was thinking. Yeah. But then you also have probably been exposed to so many situations where it's like, I don't want to scar the kid or push them into doing something they don't want to do. So it's a little bit like, it's a little push and pull on on the the learning stuff. I'm wondering if he, if he learned anything from your two older sisters that he's like, okay, I'm not going to do that with Macy. I'm going to get one that, that actually takes the surfing. <laughs> Yeah, I think he was actually hoping when I was born I was a boy, but I've, he got another girl. So, um, <laughs> but he was still dedicated to have a surfer in the family for sure. But um, no, it's nothing my parents ever pushed me to do. It was definitely I just loved the ocean, and I knew from a very young age that I wanted to be some sort of athlete, whether that was swimming, surfing. Um, I was very competitive and driven by sport. Um, I loved right. it from a very early age and I was obviously very competitive from a very young age. So I knew that, you know, that was my career and that was what I was destined to do. So, um, yeah, I wasn't going to give up. <laughs> you know, and Avoca, you know, it's a, a few hours drive north of, of Sydney proper and it's it's a beautiful community. Again, I've been fortunate enough to spend a bit of time there and really strong surfing community too you know the likes of, of ace bucken and i think glenn hall uh ended up moving there wade carmichael it, it's a you know for for being a pretty small little hamlet like produces an outsized amount of of, of world-class surfers yeah i was so thankful and lucky to grow up on the central coast i had just the most amazing childhood i had you know so many friends that were surfing um and coming through and we had obviously great people to look up to in the surfing space. Um, it was just such a great place to start my early life and my career, such a, um, supportive community. Um, yeah, they supported me through so many things and I had so many great friends that were surfing at the time. And now like Molly Picklin and I travel and do all that. And I remember doing board rides with her when she was like a tiny little girl, like we were both obviously (laughs) really young, but, um, yeah, it's just funny. Like when I made that final in Bolito, I was with her. I was just like, 
it was such a surreal moment. I was like, we're just two girls from the Central Coast and now we're in South Africa winning events and stuff. It was a pretty cool moment um, for me. I was like, yeah, it's really cool to see us. You know, the Central Coast is a pretty small town and um, but they have produced so many great surfers, so there must be something in the ocean. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And And you yeah. mentioned feeling like becoming a professional surfer was your destiny from a young age. But I am curious, were there there other interests that ever pulled at you? Like whether it was, you know, subjects in school or art or music or other sports, were there any, was there ever anything else that kind of gave you pause on like, well, maybe I'll do this instead? Um, yeah, it was never school. I hated school. I was like, nope, there has to be something else other than school. <laughs> but um, I was actually a a competitive swimmer for most of my life. I actually was doing that all up until I won my world junior title. Um, I was still swimming in the pool every day. I actually had a scholarship for swimming. Um, That's where I honestly thought I was going to go. Right. What was your event in swimming? um, I ended up actually winning the Australian title for breaststroke when I was about 12. (laughs) But um, it transitioned into a bit of freestyle and butterfly. But um, I loved it so much. I loved the hard work. I think that was one thing that I always thrived off was training and then seeing those results in the pool come out. Um, Mm. I loved that kind of feeling when you put in the hard work and the result definitely comes. But then surfing was such a challenge for me because it was constantly, you know, against mother nature and you're you're learning heaps and it ended up taking over my life and my swimming career. So um, I'm thankful now it has because it's been so much fun. Of course. And you have a number of, of, you know, high profile sponsors. And as you mentioned, you know, inside and outside the Jersey, you do quite a lot of work for them. When did, when did those relationships start for you? At, at what age um, did you start working with the likes of, you know, Billabong and Oakley and, and, and the like? Yeah. Um, I got picked up by Billabong when I was around 12. Oh, wow. I was quite young. I was still, I was still swimming at that point. I was still, yeah, at school doing everything. Um, but you know, early sponsorship, you're kind of just getting product and you're just like having fun and you're not really doing much. <laughs> but um, no, our my relationship with Billabong has evolved into such an amazing thing, and I've been with them for ten years now. So yeah, they're they're my family. They've done everything for me. I can't say any bad words about them. They're just amazing, and they're honestly, I've had so many great opportunities, and it's been great. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And walk. Well, I mean, you were so successful at such a young age competitively. Is that is that something that I, I know you said that that surfing didn't necessarily come natural to you, but did competitive surfing come naturally to you? Because you know, you you in addition to your pro junior career, you won the um, world junior title in, in 2016, and that's a huge deal when you look at the pedigree of surfers who have won that both on the men's and women's side. It, it really is a benchmark for kind of future greatness. So, you know, competitively, was that something that came easy to you or is it something you had to work for? Yeah, I think I was just obviously very competitive and I just loved competing. I loved everything about it. Um, I did have a really strong junior career um, and then winning the world junior title, that was like, a massive goal for me and I felt like I was coming into that event a bit of an underdog I, there was so many great girls in in that field and um it felt nice to win that one and then after that I um got kind of thrown into the big leagues and that's when it just yeah. like started going downhill I just started losing <laughs> a bunch and I was freaked out I was like oh my god like just the first time I felt like I was really like lost in that space um it was new, like losing a bunch and it was really taking a toll on me. I was like not doing well with that. It It is hard, right? Like surfing, as we often say, it's a community obsessed with the cult of youth. And, and I think it's getting a little bit more mature in terms of finding value and achievement. But, you know, since I started, like you could find contracts and media coverage and even sort of just the audience and the fandom almost more interested in who's next in term in in comparison to who actually achieved something you know and so you know winning a world junior title at you must have been 16 17 like very young for you you know you're you're automatically kind of like propelled onto the world stage and people are like okay you're the next stephanie gilmore the next tyler wright or the next carissa whatever it is 
And as you said, it's like, oh my, I'm, I'm a teenager and now I'm, I'm kind of, the expectations have shifted so much for me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I won the World Junior title when I was 16. Um, I remember WSL gave me a wild card into the lowers event. Um, it was like kind of like an incentive for winning the World Junior title. And sure, that was yeah, my yeah. first first CT event. Um, flew over to America. Yeah, it was like such a huge moment. Um, but then again, you get put on this pedal stool where you're like the next up and coming prodigy or whatever it may be. And then you just get this huge amount of like pressure. And I was like, but I'm only 16. And like the junior ranks and like career is so different to getting onto the big stage. Cause honestly, when you're there, you're just, the field Mm. is phenomenal. Like the girls are like, yeah, I I had a heat with Tyler Wright and I just got absolutely blown out of the water. I was like, this is (laughs) way harder than I thought. Um, as a, yeah, I got humbled straight away. (laughs) It's, I mean, it's, it's so funny. And I mean, I remember even like on the men's side, like years and years ago when Mick Fanning won his first world title. And I remember Rip Curl at the time, they were sponsoring kind of Davy Cathals and Stuart Kennedy and as kind of these like, okay, this is the next like toe headed natural footer with a Rip Curl sticker. Like we're going to move them into the space. But then I remember they would like run into Mick continuing to win and reinvent himself and, and push his mm-hmm. own surfing. And it was kind of, it was almost like firing BB pellets at a freight train sometimes. Cause it's like, it's not really fair to put these young guys up or these young women up against these like Titans of the sport. But it is one of those things where I think you know, what you pointed out, it's like the level, the level between the challenger series and the CT, I think is so underappreciated how much it jumps between the pro yeah. juniors and the CT. It's insane. It really is insane. Um, the year that I started doing the pro juniors, they actually had just cut the age bracket. So it was right. instead of 21 and under, it's 18 and under. So that was sure, also yeah. a huge gap. It's like you're going pretty much fresh 18-year-old into the QS or the Challenger Series, which is also another huge jump. You're competing against some amazing surfers. And then again, you're jumping to the CT and the level is just so high. Like no matter who you draw, you have to surf out of your skin. And that was something that I really had to learn. You know, you can make QS heats and pro junior heats scraping through with some fives. Like it's, but on the CT, you need, you need excellent scores all the time. (laughs) It's hard. Absolutely. And so, so let's talk about your first pass at the championship tour, right? So there's uh, 2018 where you're, I think you're a replacement surfer or a wild card for a number of events. And you actually, I'm pretty sure you finished runner-up in France that year. Like you had a great result as a replacement surfer. And then, you know, you come on the tour in 2019, 2020s and non-season, so 2021. And in both 2019 and 2021, you pointed out before, like kept running into that roadblock of like ninth, you know, like can't get past the ninth, can't get past the ninth. So, you know, talk to us a little bit, both both the getting runner-up you know, on that kind of non-season for you in France, which is a huge result. And then just full time having to kind of cut your teeth amongst the world's best surfers and and just how hard that can be for a young surfer. Yeah, definitely. Um, It was really hard. I was, I mean, I was lucky enough to be traveling with Sage Erickson at the time on my replacement year. And that was a lot of fun, a lot of learning, getting to just meet new people, kind of finding your spot on the CT. Um, Oh, yeah, I was running into those results quite often, but then going into France, um, I felt really comfortable on a beach break and going left. I love going left. <laughs> so um, I felt really comfortable. And then, yeah, I got that great result and that had, like boosted my confidence a lot going into that back end of the year, especially on the challenge series or the, the QS at the time. And I wanted to qualify, obviously, because I wanted to have my full-time spot. So I, yeah, I came second in France and then I went into the last event and came second and qualified for the CT, which was like a huge moment for me. But then again, yeah, the next year I kept running into those bad results and constantly just kind of like, why is this happening? Like I'm putting in the work. I feel like I should be here, but I can't get past round three. Um, right. And then again, in 2021, same thing goes, I was, I felt like my surfing was there. I was having the best heats of my career. I was posting good scores. I was doing well, but still losing to Carissa and Steph with those high scores. And it was such a mental battle because I felt so good. I was surfing the best I had surfed. 
in a long time, but still not getting the results and then obviously falling off tour. Um, so that was like a really hard space to navigate for sure. I call those the, uh, this is my own personal one, but the Sean Cansdell years where it's, yeah. you have a surfer who's putting up 16, 17, 18 points in every heat and they'd win, you know, every other heat in the round, except the one they yeah. were in, you know, and then someone yeah. puts up, you know, half a point more and, and you're looking at the surfer going like, this is like a world title contender in terms of the performance and they're getting huge scores and it's just not bouncing their way. It's so hard to see. And, you know, that 2021 was such a wild year too, right? Because we had the off season that was 2020 for the pandemic. And then 2021, so much had changed. We'd inverted the calendar. And even after we inverted it, events are still getting canceled and shifted. There was just so much instability because of the way the world was at that point in time. And it just became really challenging. But But one of the things I've noticed about your career, which I think is it's not something that was always there, especially in women's surfing, is that in addition to, you know, working on your competitive surfing, you do quite a lot of free surfing and put out quite a lot of content. You know, you had the, I think it was, um, you know, uh, Dan Scott and Ava Orbick's surfing and all girls surf film that you guys worked on during the pandemic. You know, you do stuff with, um, you know, uh, excuse me, it's like Stab Highway, you know, you've got, uh, it, it just seems like you're really producing quite a lot of free surfing content um, in addition to your your competitive surfing, which isn't always something that, that we've seen from women surfers. Yeah, I think I had obviously the whole 2020 off and I was lucky enough to be locked down in Australia. We obviously live in such an amazing country and we were able to go to the beach every day during our lockdowns, which was very nice because I got to do it with my best friends as well. I had Steph and Nikki, Dimity, Tyler. We were all stuck in Australia at the same time. And we were surfing together every day. And yeah, we came out with our film surfing with Dan Scott and Ava. Um, that was just a lot of fun. We had a really good time just surfing again, like with each other. And that definitely pushes your surfing. We we're doing some sure. fun trips just in our little bubble from Lennox Head to Burley Heads. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just had such a good time off and that's when I was really starting to think like, is the tour where I want to be or do I want to actually, you know, focus on filming and putting out content and is a women's free surfer a thing in this space? You know, like we have so many great men free surfers that get paid a lot and um, that's their career. And I was kind of thinking, is this something I'm able to do? Is this something my sponsors would like? Um, so I, I started focusing on, yeah, trying to push out more content and working with that. I ended up in 2021 not going to the Surf Ranch event so I could go on Stab Highway, which was like right. a controversial thing. A lot of people were telling me, what are you doing? <laughs> but <laughs> right, I, had yeah. a lot of, <laughs> I had a lot of faith in myself and I felt like that was a space where I needed to grow and I needed to put myself in those kind of areas I wasn't familiar with and go on trips with people I'd never been on trips with and like just do something else I just needed to do something else to see whether I liked it or not because that was that was kind of like yeah a pinnacle moment in my career where I wasn't sure what I wanted to do um I had so much fun on that stab highway trip I I honestly at the end was like I'm a free surfer now this is what I want to do like <laughs> I don't want to do the tour anymore but then that competitive in May still came out at the start of the year I was like I'll just do the Aussie events and see how I feel and then I ended up doing well and so I've done the rest of the year now and um I'm having fun with everything but I think yeah the free surf world I just I love making content and being able to show that side of myself um and it's something that I still want to work on and I even if I do you know qualify and do the tour I still want to be able to go on those trips and do all those fun things too. That's excellent. We're going to take uh, one more break to get a word from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll talk about what's coming up for Mace Callahan. We'll be right back. Hey, I hear you think podcasts are all about true crime, huh? Well, wise guy, the iHeartRadio app's got all kinds of podcasts. We got stuff you should know and stuff they don't want you to know. We got Bobby Bones, Big Boy, and Lou Later. We got SpongeBob Binge Pants and Exotic Erotic Storytime. We got Doughboys, Two Dudes in a Kitchen, Green Eggs and Dan. Hey, we got ElfQuest. We got podcasts for everything on the iHeartRadio app for free. If you don't download that, well, that's not just a true crime, my friend. 
That's criminal. Manduka was founded in 1997 with the simple idea that a better yoga mat could make a world of difference. For generations, Manduka has revolutionized the yoga space by providing purposely crafted products that enable a more joyful practice, whatever that looks like for you. The collaboration between Manduka and Jerry Lopez honors Jerry's profound dedication to both surfing and yoga disciplines. The limited edition collection showcases Jerry's signature camouflage print inspired by his surfboards. It fuses his iconic surf style with Manduka's commitment to quality and sustainability, offering everyone a unique expression of their practice. We all know that having the right gear is essential and a yoga mat is no different. Feel the benefits of yoga with Manduka's soulfully engineered, eco-friendly products designed to inspire your practice wherever you go. The Manduka and Jerry Lopez collection want to inspire you to practice yoga however you choose to. And from now until June 10th, you will get 15% off of all products when you visit manduka.com with the code THELINEUP15. That's manduka.com, code THELINEUP1515. Let's talk about uh, surfboards uh, for a second, because it's uh, something all surfers are obsessed with. I, I think when you talk to surfers who perform at such an elite level like yourself, it becomes infinitely more fascinating. And you're part of something called the Board Lab um, in Australia. So for listeners out there, can you kind of explain what that is? Yeah, the Board Lab is um, a factory here on the Gold Coast. Well, it's actually just across the border on the New South Wales side. Um, they stock from Sharpie, Chili, Axod, a bunch of brands. Um, they're probably producing the best boards in Australia right now, in my opinion. Right. Um, I'm lucky enough to work with the board lab itself, and that pretty much gives me the opportunity to ride a bunch of different boards under the same brand. So before that, I was riding Sharpie full-time, um, yep. but now I ride for the board lab, which that gives me opportunity to surf for Sharpie and everyone else under the board lab. So it's, right. it's a great opportunity. It's great for a surfer who wants to, you know, dive deeper into what boards they want to ride and try a bunch of different things. And I've had a lot of fun riding a bunch of different boards. Yeah. Now, you mentioned riding for uh, Sharpie, you know, exclusively before moving to the board lab, where it still looks like based on your competitive results this year, you're riding quite a few Sharpies still. How long had you been working w with uh, the Sharpie program before this? Yeah, um, I think... It's almost been two years now, I think, okay. um, before that I was riding with Matt Biolis for a long time from the age of like 13 to 20. Oh, wow. um, yeah, right. Yeah, he had a, a massive part in my career. But um, the best move for me in my career was going to Sharpie and getting on those boards. They definitely like changed my career and the way I was surfing. And I love the whole team that works for that brand. They're such an amazing, they're just so many great people working for them. Um, I, I work really closely with Brendan Leckie who shapes yep. here in Australia for Sharpie. He's like one of my close friends. So it's nice to have that relationship with your shaper for sure. That's interesting. And yeah, you sounds like you migrated over there. We had Marcio on the podcast a few weeks ago and, and it really is one of the most amazing stories I'd say broadly in surfing at the moment is just how that program has been built brick by brick and, and the success they've had in recent years. Um, you know, we're, we're rolling out um, like a board ranking uh, on the CT in 2023. And we did uh, sort of some mock rankings per event, men's, women's and combined uh, throughout 2022. And it's, it's amazing how dominant those boards were. Um, you know, when you look at both the men's and women's tours this year, it's, it's really, really impressive. And, and the feedback that you outlined as well, it's it's so consistent. And I find it so fascinating where there's so many world-class shapers, you know, that build boards for championship tour surfers. And, you know, you get a lot of these surfers that end up being free agents from time to time. And the feedback you hear, certainly in the last couple of years from the surfers that end up on Sharp Eyes, that, yeah, I get boards from everybody. But something about these sharp eyes they accelerate through the turns and they're picking up more speed i've never ridden one but i i'm just like <laughs> it is amazing that they 
they've been able to develop that. And, and after talking to Marcio, it just seems like he's a very dedicated person and, and he's built a good program that includes people like Brendan as well. Yeah, there's no doubt that Shopify is the best board company in the world right now. You can just see it with the results from all the surfers on the CT and um, the way that they are surfing. The level has risen so highly, like Felipe and Jack are both on Sharp Eyes now and you can just see from their surfing how amazing the boards go. Um, and yeah, for me, I jumped on a Sharp Eye from, it was a friend's secondhand board. I just wanted to try it. And I ended up riding it and re-qualifying on that board. And it was the best board I've like almost ever had. And it wasn't even mine. <laughs> I was like, I, didn't, <laughs> I was just borrowing it. And um, after that, I was like, yeah, I need to, I need to get some more of these. And I was lucky enough to get picked up by um, Sharp Eye Australia. So um, yeah, the board, you, I don't think you can get a bad board. Honestly, they're just, they're ahead of the game. They're doing a really great job for sure. We talked about, your first few runs on the championship tour, you've had an amazing 2022 Challenger Series campaign. You got a little bit of space before you head to Haleiwa. Between the last time you were on the championship tour and now, uh, the schedule's changed quite a bit. And, and the women are now starting, with the men, are now starting at Pipeline in the end of January. So based on your experience on the championship tour previously and everything you've learned since, what do you do between now and then uh, in terms of preparing for the 2023 CT? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'm so scared to surf pipe. Um, that is the one event that really, I feel like if you're not nervous and what do you like, I feel like the men and women are both just as nervous as each other. Um, sure. And for it to be the first event, it's definitely a little bit out of my depth and I haven't really dived into that, you know, haven't really surfed too many of those types of waves a whole lot. So um, it's going to be a challenge. But for me, I think just taking this time off and surfing some more waves like that and um, really just focusing on that. I feel like every other event I feel super comfortable at for the first half of the year on the tour. Um, but Pipe's just one of those events that you've got to really prepare for. <laughs> Absolutely. And looking at that, slate of the first five championship tour events before the relegation you have pipeline sunset beach super tubos in Peniche, portugal bells beach and margaret river if you had to have a sober assessment of your own strengths and weaknesses as a surfer which event are you looking like you probably need to do the most work to to perform at and which event as as of today are you most comfortable in, in feeling like I, as if i was competing there today i feel like i'd do very well yeah, I think I've definitely spent a lot of time in Hawaii, but it is a hard space to navigate. Um, as a young female, I feel like I do get intimidated by the crowds and the locals and I try and be as respectful as I can. So I haven't really spent a whole lot of time there in the water. I've obviously been there a lot, but um, it's something that I have to work on. And those two events are definitely what I feel like are a little bit out of my depth. But I'm also really excited because I feel like maybe Sunset is a good place for me. I've grown up on, you know, lots of right-handers and some deep water surfing. Um, I feel like I could do well there. But if I'm going to be honest, like the most comfortable place would have to be Australia and the two Australian events here. Um, Bells and Margaret River, I've obviously spent a lot of time there and I've competed there before and I feel extremely comfortable in those two places. So those would probably be my most, yeah, comfortable. Well, it's going to be very exciting to watch. Uh, before <laughs> you go, we did we did reach out to our Instagram community at the lineup pod for uh, questions. We got a lot back for, for you, okay. Macy, but we, uh, we whittled it down to three. Uh, <laughs> the first question is from at McDonald228, who says, you have the skills. What do you need to work on to win a championship tour event? Is it tactics, mentality? What will it take? Yeah, I think it's definitely like mentally a uh, thing for me. I think I feel like my surfing's there now. I just need to not get so nervous and put a whole lot of pressure on myself and just have fun with it. Yeah. <laughs> Next question is from at gypsy underscore soul underscore surfer who asks, pick one. 24 access to any wave pool in the world or the ocean? The ocean, 100%. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's like a litmus test question. So you probably have to, yeah. for sure, it's got to be the ocean. <laughs> you don't need the karma if it bounces the other way. Yeah, wave um, pools are fun, but you can't beat the yeah, ocean. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
Um, last question uh, from the Instagram community that we selected is from Et Silani, who asks, do you see yourself on the championship tour for another five years? What do you want to do post surf career? Yeah. Um, it's a tr- I don't know. It's a tricky one. I obviously I love that free surfing space and I love creating content. Um, I would love to dive deeper into making more films and that kind of stuff and traveling some more with some different people. But um, I'm only 22. So I, there's, there's a lot of time for that. <laughs> a lot so, of time. Yeah. Um, I'm going <laughs> to, probably focus on that competitive space for now yeah very cool well thanks to everyone that uh sent questions and questions in it at the lineup pod we're now down to our final segment it is the lightning round so these are 10 questions for you to answer as quickly as you can okay <laughs> if you could only have one board set up for the rest of your life single fin twin fin thruster quad bouncer or finless which would you choose thruster for sure Coffee or tea? Coffee. Burrito or pizza? Pizza. Last book you read? Oh, it was a Colleen Hoover book. I feel like all girls read those. <laughs> <laughs> Best surf film ever? Um, Surfing by Dan Scott and Ava. <laughs> One wave you never have to go back to? Ooh. Oh, my God. I don't know. That's a hard one. It's fair. Uh, yeah, I'll have to come back to that one. There's no way right. I don't like the ocean's great. <laughs> That's a good answer. That's a great answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you only get to surf one way for the rest of your life. Snapper rocks. Best person to share a lineup with. Dimity Stoyle. <laughs> Worst person to share a lineup with. Oh, Dimity Stoyle. <laughs> <laughs> she, she always, she is always getting the best waves. She's just always after the best waves and she never lets me get the good ones. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, last one. Finish this sentence. I will next achieve a state of happiness by... Surfing more. Wonderful. <laughs> Macy Callahan, uh, congrats on your amazing season and all you've achieved Thank at you. such a young age. Uh, can't wait to have you back on the championship tour next year. Look forward to what you do at Haleiwa. And yeah, thanks for coming on the lineup. You were fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So that's it. That's the lineups conversation with Avoca's Macy Callahan. I hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you tune in to worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app to watch the Corona Sakurama Pro streaming live and see which surfers will be joining Macy on the 2023 WSL Championship Tour. This episode is produced by Miguel Clemente with art direction by Jason Penning and copywriting by Dan Willen. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges that is recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, the Kumiye, and the Bunjalung native Australian people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. 
because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. 